Welcome to the Space Cave. Let's get right into part two with Kyla Van Manen of Pangea Seed, talking about ecology, marine biology, art, murals. Here you go. Well, we I've now that the first part was too dark or too bleak, it's hard to talk about climate change without at least addressing the emotions, the feelings, the objective reality that we live in and then assessing is this salvageable and or how can we go about that and what's the best way to do it i get a little frustrated at any sort of entertainment that says something to the effect of look life is hard and i just want people to have a good time and they're like well that's what got us here maybe something a little more elevated mm-hmm. maybe something with just a, the slightest bit of awareness or well i don't want to be preached at at some point, you're going to have to read a book or you're going to have to do something that isn't the masked singer and yeah. isn't good vibes only and mm-hmm. going on cruises and whatever it is that people do that like when you see a cruise ship, you're like, this is us. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. This, I, oh, oh wow. but actually yeah. the energy, the way it's powered and the, the, I don't care if it was powered exclusively by the sun, which I guess they should be. <laughs> I still just think the catastrophe that is a cruise ship is one of those things to me that's like, I cannot believe humans aspired to do that and pulled it off. <laughs> yeah. And then it had and despite all of the tragedies are still going. <laughs> still going. The, the diseases, the, yeah. the groundings, the sinkings. Yeah, it's remarkable. This, and every now and again, someone drowns in the pool on a cruise <laughs> ship. <laughs> what yeah. a way to go. I don't know. Uh, so all of that is just, it's easy to be nihilistic and mm-hmm. like, ah, humans, you know, mm-hmm. ah, you can just be such like a misanthrope. But you don't want to feel that way. You want to feel like, come on, there's there's positive side. And so you must have felt that. Or were you just always as a child kind of drawn to nature and animals and specifically the ocean? Yeah, I would say I've always been drawn to nature and animals and the ocean. Um, always. I think that that's something my mom definitely um, instilled in me from a young age, just like kind of like stopping and looking at that beautiful tree and how the leaves have changed that beautiful color and like literally pulling the car over on the way to school to stop and look at a tree <laughs> oh, and great. just really like acknowledge how gorgeous those purple leaves are and how special it is that we can see it. So having that eye um, for detail and change and, and kind of the way the natural world fills in all the space around us has been something that's consistent um, in my life and I love animals. I always have. I, I actually, you know, I talk to a lot of people who they, they tell me when they want, when they were little, they said they wanted to be a marine biologist. That was not me. I wanted to be a vet. Um, and then I, I kind of lost passion for that when I realized I'd have to be euthanizing animals. Same. Exactly. Yeah, that. Yeah, I wonder sure. how many people. <laughs> it's a common that. story yeah, too, that's I'm gotta sure. be. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I 
studied, I went to Pitzer College in, in um, Claremont, California, one of the Claremont colleges, and ended up majoring in environmental studies after I went to Costa Rica and studied abroad there for a semester and took um, really amazing uh, environmental uh, science classes. So a lot of ecology specific to the region. And I mean, Costa Rica is one of the per um, like square mile is the most biodiverse country in the world. Wow. Um, so saw some really amazing, like, inspiring animals and, and sort of interactions in ecology there that really kickstarted that um, line of study for me. Uh, and I think I would have gone into science, but I really had this like deep feeling that I wasn't a scientist. Hmm. Um, I went to like a, a humanities sort of artsy high school and did a lot of art. My mom's an artist. Um, and my dad's actually a scientist. <laughs> He's a social <laughs> scientist. Um, but I just didn't think I could. I think somehow somewhere along the line that had been kind of smacked out of me hmm. from some experience that I can't put my finger on. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll do environmental studies, which is a very cool discipline. It really it's there's a lot of environmental science involved, but it's much more about the sort of humanities within environmental um, policy and <clears throat> environmental social justice, environmental justice rather. Um, and so I, I studied that and I graduated in 2009 at the height of the recession and I couldn't <laughs> get any job for the life of me um, and eventually just worked in a restaurant. I was actually an on-set recycler for for movies and commercial shoots, um, which is a completely made up job. <laughs> well, <laughs> and they're among. The, it's weird that airports you, you have to ha- you have to be at a certain status or like um, you know we're a classist society, mm-hmm. and you have to be at a certain class, the middle class and up. It seems like fly, you know, like people that are impoverished aren't getting on a lot of flights, uh-huh. and so you would think like, well, that shouldn't that extend itself to being the most aware and the most kind of engaged. And yet I feel like airports have just now started kind of implementing the three different waste mm-hmm. bins you can oh, use. Oh, yeah, sure. Film sets. You know, you think of who hates L.A., Hollywood the most. It's the ultra conservative. Uh, I, right. I was on a flight recently and the person behind me was saying, I swore I'd never set foot in California. <laughs> Like they broke this deal they made to theirself wow. at one point. I damn it, I I got a client out here and I gotta come visit and Man. look at this site. But I swore I'd never set foot in the whole state, just because the idea of uh, the those those sissies, those sissies are there <laughs> making movies, Jeez. and yet on the set of the the sissies, quote unquote, plastic water bottles Absolutely. everywhere, just such a low level of concern uh-huh. for the environment. Oh, and just throwing away sets and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a pretty interesting job. Um, I heard while, while I was working there that someone said that the, the film industry is the second most wasteful industry aside from like gas, oil and gas in the U.S. And, and I don't actually think that that's probably true, but it is astounding how wasteful it is. And I mean, you kind of think about how much energy and, and materials go into producing an hour or two hour long movie. It's And you've, if you've ever had, even if you're a, you know, 2009 coming out of a recession, mm-hmm. if you've had any level of food insecurity, maybe that doesn't mean you don't eat for three or four mm-hmm. days in a row, but it might mean, man, I had the, 
not enough food for lunch and or dinner, and then you go to a film set, yeah. and every scene you'll ever see in any movie or TV show where the person's eating food, <laughs> that is them taking a bite, cut, spit it out, throw away the whole sandwich, bring in a whole new one, yeah. let's go again. Sure. I or mean, the, yeah, the catering waste. I mean, every everything. There's so many people that they're feeding there. Yeah. I mean, and you have to have the the crafty so that everyone can have starbursts on their little break and the, <laughs> the little packets of Cheez-Its and, and tiny water bottles. Yeah, one of the things we did was give everyone reusable water bottles and we would bring around the big uh, big jugs of water and, and set those up and trying to make the small difference and did a lot of educating people on set, a lot of educating Teamsters about <laughs> how to recycle. Um, they were always actually the most open-minded and interested, which was cool. Nice. Um, the big surly dudes. So I did that for a little while um, and ended up working. So sorry, I should go back to college. Again, this sort of theme of art and science. My, my parents, an artist and a scientist, I majored in, I double majored in art. I was uh, doing scientific illustration and um, environmental studies. So kind of art and science there a little bit. Um, tried to get a job in environmental studies, couldn't, did some recycling on sets, and then I ended up working in a cafe. Um, the cafe was at Bergamot Station, which is in Santa Monica, which is kind of a gallery hub on the west side. Um, and through there, I ended up working at a gallery um, and working as an archivist and kind of just got into the L.A. art world to Whoa. a certain extent and was working working at galleries and working with a woman based in Silver Lake. Eventually, I moved to the east side. And we were she did um, business management for artist studios and galleries, and I worked for her, and I did that for four years. So really thought I was like, okay, cool, I want to be in the art world. You yeah. know, I, I had kind of two directions I'm going to pick. Um, let's do art. And I loved it. it I learned a ton. Um but I got really bored. <laughs> and I have this visceral memory of one day just kind of like laying my head down on the keyboard and being like, oh, my God, you know, where what am I going to do here? This like I'm not I really just felt like I'm not making a difference. And if there were two kind of things that, that were that I was thinking, like, if I could be anywhere in the world right now, like if I'm going to make a big change, where do I ultimately want to be physically? Mm-hmm. And I need, I feel like I need to be making a difference. And what I care about most is like this looming climate change thing. Um, and so I, um, you know, it, it, this is kind of a long story. So keep, no, as, keep no, as much as it. you want. But my dad actually had a stroke around this time. And so I went back to um, a town just north of Boston where I grew up. Um, and hung out with him for about a month while he was recovering and on the it's a it's it's an island connected to the mainland through a, a man-made um causeway called Nahant and on Nahant um is a marine science center associated with Northeastern University and it's under this bunker that was built during World War II it was a U-boat look lookout place Whoa. for Boston to protect it from from submarines um had a giant gun in it that was fired off only once and it was an accident. <laughs> the really interesting, weird place that I had grown up knowing about but never ventured inside. Um, I kind of just thought you couldn't go inside. Yeah. I mean, it's literally a bunker. Um, and I was there uh, at the beach there with my dad and kind of looked over and was like, hey, what's the deal with this Marine Science Center? And 
went in and talked to someone and they said that we have this graduate program and we're really open to students who have a diverse background. So you don't need to have studied marine science for your undergrad. You can work. We actually think it'd be great if we had someone who's like interested in art. You know, we really want people from different backgrounds to come because we need different ideas to be solving these issues. And I was like, oh, so you're saying I could be a scientist? <laughs> <laughs> like, finally, someone kind of opened that door yeah. and said, hey, you, you know, your background is actually perfect for this. And you don't have to look like this or have this, you know, resume in order to fit this this need we have. And I was super stoked and I applied and I got in. So it was kind of all these things lined up. You know, I hit a wall. I had this random family emergency. It brought me to this place. And. And so I was able to go to that program, and and it was an accelerated program to get a master's degree in marine biology over a year and a half, or two years with an internship. Um, very cool program. We got to travel. To we, we studied in Panama, did lots of diving and research in Panama and Bocas del Toro, which is like in the Caribbean, absolutely gorgeous. We did field work at the University of Washington's field station, Friday Harbor. Um, so we, it's called the three seas program because you're in the Atlantic, the Caribbean and the Pacific. Um, Amazing. I mean, thinking back to the head on the keyboard moment yeah. and even when you have dreams, when you're sitting in that moment, go, you know, it'd be cool. I mean, diving in the three seas. And, yeah. uh, and that's amazing. That's such a cool. And how, what, what level of time had passed? What length of time had passed from the keyboard moment? Yeah, to... that's a good question. Um, about, I think just about a year. Yeah, <laughs> made it happen in about a year. It was maybe a little bit longer, but no, I think I applied at the end, like around fall, got in, um, you know, and then I, and I drove across country and was able to live with my dad while I went to that program. And that was kind of a nice experience, too. And then we traveled, and then I came back, and I actually, um, you know, I did my, my master's thesis. Um, I did that on on climate adapt adaptation projects that are funded by intergovernmental banks. So thinking about development projects that are funded by, like, the World Bank and in developing countries around the world, there's billions of dollars that different countries are paying into these funds to go into these development projects. And this is a this is a long running, you know, these are long running programs. Um, and my our project, we looked at how much of that funding is going towards climate adaptive development projects. So how many of these projects are taking into mind climate change mm -hmm. um, in coastal countries and Shocking to probably no one, not very much consideration was being made, which is, you know, a, kind of a waste of money. Um, but that was an interesting kind of policy project I did. It was it wasn't the sort of like underwater counting fish, you know, measuring the size of shrimp um, kind of hands on field work that I imagined myself doing. But from my perspective, once I once I cracked into the world, the science world, I was like, as long as I'm doing, as long as there's some relationship to the ocean here, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I, I feel like this is the right, this is, I just need to keep getting experiences like this, keep having these jobs that, that are correlated. It might not be exactly what I want to do, but I'm getting closer and closer. And so from there, I just, again, I had this kind of winding path of different jobs to get me to where I am now. But I was 30 when I was in, when I finished grad school. Um, all the other students or most of, except for one were like straight out of undergrad. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a humbling experience. Um, they were way 
better at stuff than me. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't been in school for a really long time. So just taking tests and studying was kind of hard on my brain. Um, but, you know, I I felt like having had all the work experience I had had made a big difference in how, what I took from the program and where I went and how, like, I was able to sort of jump into a job and, and think about it kind of in a long run. Um, so... I guess going to go back to your, your original question, you'd ask, like, what were you thinking? And I was thinking, I have to make a difference. And then I was thinking, where do I want to be? And where the answer to where I wanted to be was just has always been on the beach, <laughs> always. Um, and on the beach, in the water, on the water. And yeah. so that's sort of where and I was like, okay, let's try marine marine science. And I was kind of, um, do I want to go hard science? Do I want to do marine biology? Or do I want to do marine affairs and policy. Mm -hmm. um, and I got into both programs, but the marine biology program was this three C's one. And I was like, I can't, yeah, I can't turn that, that down. Yeah. The other one was in Seattle. And I think I would be pretty depressed there <laughs> I know, for, for too sure. long. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 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 I don't do well in, in cloudy weather or constantly gray skies. So I think you made a, a good choice. I think anyone who draws or does any, any type of art feels things just period but like specifically on a level maybe more in depth than if you grow up pushing feelings down all the time mm -hmm. stand up straight get up early that's what you got to do and so you think of a lot of big tough dudes specifically dudes like just you don't feel them none of them draw none of them do any <laughs> art because then you you don't really feel much but yeah. if you're feeling things I, I love that you followed what you were feeling because I think mm. there are a lot of people, even if they end up extremely, maybe monetarily successful, there's that little voice. There's that little something saying, but you didn't really follow what you were passionate about or where your heart wanted to go or what made sense to you. And that has value. That's important. Mm -hmm. And people are in Seattle with a ton of money and yeah. real depressed, real bummed out, because, yeah. <laughs> probably for a variety of reasons. But sure. to feel like you are contributing or trying to help, I mean, that, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's, it feels nice to be seen for that. I I do think that there have been sacrifices I've made to stay in this realm, um, even insofar as like this, you know, I've, there are different ways to be in the nonprofit or conservation or science um, fields. And there are some that are more lucrative than others, you know. Um, it's it's not often that you can get paid very well, but it is possible, you know. Um, to be like a researcher, not likely you're going to get paid very well, uh, especially when you're 30 and you're just finishing under, you know, you just finished your master's, which to be clear is not a PhD. Mm -hmm. um, so you, I was sort of looking at this as like, oh gosh, I could go be you know, I could go do measure the shrimp, you know, and be diving all day and living somewhere in the Caribbean, but I'd be making $13 an hour. I can't do that. You know, I've already had nine, nine years of my life where I was working. It's not like this is my first job and that feels like an okay place to start. I'm like, yeah. no, I, you know, I was last making $25 an hour and I can't go back to that. 
So there are different like kind of choices I had to make. And because of that, it's like, okay, well, I'll take this job at the university that's maybe not measuring shrimp like I wanted to do. But it is, again, still ocean adjacent. I'm studying or I'm, I'm working in the field of sort of, sort of um, resilience, coastal resilience, and kind of thinking about that stuff every day. So I'm not underwater. I'm not at the beach, but at least I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. So like there's There are different choices I had to make to sort of push my career forward, but it definitely hasn't always been about the money. And I've definitely taken jobs where I make less money, but the subject matter, what I get to do day to day is more interesting. So it's been kind of a series of navigating that and figuring out which is the limiting factor to decide what direction I have to go in. Um, but I've found myself now in like a, in a position that I'm really excited about and, and kind of this, you know, when I tell people about it, they're like, wow, was this <laughs> made for you? Because I think it's like the only job out there that exists. And so I work at an organization now, like I mentioned before, that does that, that bridges ocean science and art. To, mm-hmm. to increase awareness about issues in the ocean and to encourage and empower marine stewardship but for individuals. Um, and I kind of chased this job down and told them I had the right background and, you know, they, they took me up on it and did actually create a position for me. So cool. Um, yeah, it's really cool <laughs> and, and felt really like kind of like, oh, wow, you know, I, I finally have crawled up to where I wanted to be into this place that feels like it was made for me or I made it, you know. Yeah. It's really exciting. I, I feel, what's the name of it, first of all? It's called Pangea Seed. The, the number of times, I think specifically on this show where someone has said something to that effect of like, I have the the only job that like suits all of my things hmm. and I never knew it existed and or I think that's a very enviable thing I think there are a lot of people that have skills and or are maybe even succeeding maybe doing well but feeling like but this doesn't match all of my things together and that's such a fortunate spot as a human being to mm-hmm. get to and maybe yeah. that goes back to like why climate change and the need to uh, address it feels so pressing is that the kind of post-apocalyptic sky full of ash existence still a pursuit still need food water and shelter Mm -hmm. but it feels monotonous Mm -hmm. and a lot of people feel that currently getting up every day getting in a car going to work and back and it's not that different it's just like a routine and a rut but the idea in this world as it currently exists there is that opportunity for i was banging my head against the keyboard and then one year later this was happening all because this this and this that currently exists in a way that in the ash world it, it will not. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth it's a world worth fighting for because yeah. those things are somewhat magical. There's they're such like a an unknowable route as to why and how those happen, but they do happen right. for people like that was unbelievable. If yeah. you woke up out of a dream and this was your life, you'd be like, that was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's this sort of like um, energy or – momentum that's that that kind of gathers once you start making those decisions that feel really aligned with kind of like a bigger goal that you might not even be aware of you know that's sort of like you kind of just get rolling Mm -hmm. and and then those your those opportunities come to you or you find them and I will say this job at Pangea Seed, I, right out of 
or actually, I guess it was 2019 after I left the job at, at, at the university, I emailed them and I said, here's my resume and I'd love to like even be an intern or something for you guys. I love I've been following you. Your work's amazing. And we had a back and forth, but there just, it wasn't right timing and it wasn't a paid thing anyways. And it just it kind of fizzled out, you know? And then I went off and I did a, you know, it was COVID and I did all these random remote jobs and I started working. I had a few really amazing like female mentors that helped get me different places and connect me. And I had some awesome opportunities and sort of shorter gigs. And then, you know, three years later, four years later, I, well, what is it? <laughs> Whatever. Three years later, I apply again and I have a different resume. I'm the same person, but I have more work experience. I yeah. have a little more passion. I'm a little little better at stuff, you know? <laughs> and they look at my resume and see it differently. And they maybe have a little extra chunk of change and want to bring someone yeah. on. And so it's this really, like, I feel very much like I, it was not kismet. It was very much my actions that made it happen, you know? But, like, it wasn't right then, and then it was right later on, and I decided to, to ask again, and and all those pieces came together, but they were all pieces that I created, you know. Did they mention that? Did they say we're really glad you tried again? Yeah, I mean, you know, I <laughs> there's even more to that story in that one of my jobs I actually hired in the in the in between time I hired Akira, who's one of my bosses. Um, to come speak at a conference, a virtual conference, because I knew in the long run <laughs> that I would really like to know these people, whether or Smart, not I was working yeah. for them. So I, I hired her, um, and she came and spoke at a, a conference. And then, you know, yeah, a year later, I used my work email address <laughs> and our chain that we had had from that conversation <laughs> to send her my resume. So she couldn't, you know, so she would flag it. Um, so there was a little conniving, I guess, going on, but it was, yeah. I don't think anyone would fault me for it. No. I mean, it's funny that people like that in any capacity, uh, you know, within reason. If someone's trying to date you and they go a little too far, you're like, all right, I, I gotta <laughs> like get a restraining order. But, and not to make light of that, but I mean, there really is like this, this person just did a little too much. Yeah. But other times, oh, I wish, I wish they'd called me. Mm-hmm. I wish they'd tried a little more. Mm-hmm. And a business works the same way of like seeing that initiative. Yeah. That, like, she's determined. She's yeah. driven. I do this um, scripted sketch podcast, Intercepts, if you're listening and want to listen to more <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and as I was doing it, I just, I really liked the world that it created. I liked the, everything about, you know, seeing my friends and doing just something fun and creative. But I was I was also kind of thinking, like, you know, it'd be cool. You know what? I would be, like, aware that I was onto something that maybe appealed to more than just me is if someone – if people start to reach out to me and say, like, I want to be a part of that. And I thought that would be, like, a, a touchstone moment to mm. know, like, this isn't just for me. This mm-hmm. isn't something I solo enjoy. And then that happened. Someone reached out and said, I like it. I do voiceover work. I can record in my home studio. And so then I've been oh, cool. you know, having that person be a part of the show. But that was a very, I'm guessing, for climate change, marine science, art, for them to go, oh, this person wants to join us. Mm-hmm. And look at this resume. This is exactly who we want. This makes us feel like we are doing something that is appealing to the right kind of person. Yeah. So it's probably a two-way street where, yeah. they, you know, it wasn't just you wanting to be a part of this thing. They are also like, oh, good. People like this are aware of us and want to join. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that was feedback I got after I was hired. They are like, you know, 
you know, and, and after that, after our initial conversations, I, I booked a flight and met him at one of their, you know, they were having a mural activation. And I was like, I'll come meet you. And, you know, I really, I really, <laughs> if it had been dating, it would have been a little stocky. <laughs> but it wasn't. And yeah, they they received it well. But it, it was like, you know, how many people have this like interest in ocean science and art to this degree and this many years of experience. So yeah, let's capitalize on it. And We've made this amazing team and are really excited about the things we're going to be doing next year and kind of the direction we're going in. So I think it helps sort of shift the direction, too, of the organization and and helps to always have a fresh brain in the mix. Yeah. Um, I interviewed this guy, Peter Kieswalter, recently, and he's doing this thing called the Moth Project, which is more music, um, visual. It has to do with the migration patterns Hmm. of moths and his... His brother and a lot of like science tied into the the reason to create the project. But what he was saying that I thought was so interesting in doing it was that like this isn't showing up to a school and having uniforms and four adults fake rapping and be like, here's why you got to recycle. And then kids are like, no, thank you. I can't think of something I like less. Mm-hmm. And if you just create the thing, if you just create a pretty mural and that's it. You know, or if, if I just feel like the way that your mom pulled over and showed you a tree, you remember that. Mm-hmm. She didn't need to say, now trees are important. And right. you got to, it's just the moment to take that. And kids perceive that so much more efficiently than mm-hmm. we give them credit for. Acting or feeling that we need to drill it into their heads. Right. Now repeat after me. Say this every day. Salute the flag and say this pledge. Yeah. Such a weird thing to instill in a child sure. like, you're God, I feel this way. Mm-hmm. The kid's going to get to a certain age and they're going to develop their own thoughts and feelings about how they were told to mm-hmm. think about things or believe things or blindly just recite things. And so seeing a mural and, and see whatever they get to go do. Like I've heard now that on field trips, they're less um, – now if you look over here, this is a blah, blah, blah. It's more just, all right, gang, what do you see? What do you have questions about? Wow. And just letting the kids kind of take that. it. I think that makes so much more yeah. sense. Well, yeah, because – I mean, you're going to learn so much more when you're drawing, when you're doing your own explaining with yourself, you know, instead of something being explained to you. It doesn't always have to be read out and, you know, you can do the the analysis. You can figure out what it Mm -hmm. means to you and that's what you're going to remember. Yeah. What is the, what emotions coming from you when you see this? Is this, does this feel depressing? Does this feel hopeful? Does this feel weird? And you have to stare at it to realize what it is for a little while. And, you know, we pair our murals with educational materials. So there's like a little plaque that explains things. There'll be like a QR code if they want to go and get more materials. I don't think that happens very often. I think people will just sit there stare and think for a little while and I've watched them do it and that's exactly what they do they stop and they kind of go hmm (laughs) you know and some people stay longer than others and some people will walk up to the artist and ask questions if they're there while they're painting and some people will walk up to the artist and tell them their life story and or tell them why they're connected to the ocean you know they really want this opportunity to talk about how it makes them feel which is really cool yeah um so everyone reacts differently but most people do react you know most people stop and look yeah and it, touching back to that i mean there's a reason there's just always this impetus to like engage with your inner child or be childlike childlike mm-hmm. wonder and be, the reason people oh children are the future it's the corruption that comes in or seeing things that adults are maybe forced to do or 
Like if you take kids to a petting zoo or if you took kids to an ocean cleanup after an oil spill and they got to wash off a duck, Mm -hmm. they would never forget that and remember like that felt – that duck seemed thankful or like watching the duck be able to flap its wings. I'll remember that. And kids that are not nice to animals – we're like, oh, yeah, there's a serial killer. There's a psychopath. Right. I mean, that's true. <laughs> most kids engage with animals and nature in a very, like, a very sweet way, a very innocent way that's filled with, like, wonder. And then, like, you were talking about, you know, taking a job and having a certain pay scale that made sense to you. Everyone can relate to that. The people that are working in plastics manufacturing, maybe just the pick, taking it off the assembly line mm-hmm. and stacking it. Are just getting by you know they're just like hey I, yeah i would love to go work for a nonprofit and da 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 da, da but i i can't i mm-hmm. i don't i don't have a car i can't even drive to where the nearest one would be i have to walk to this bus stop and go to this plastics plant it's the only place near me so capitalism you could say is responsible for that or just the nature of humans creating an economic system where then maybe that makes that person more frustrated at home or whatever they're angry maybe they um you know, offset that pain with some sort of narcotics or drugs and alcohol. And then that doesn't create the greatest environment for little kiddos. Mm -hmm. And so the cycle like just continues to be, well, you were great as a kid. And then as you got into the world and it became harsh and mean and bad, I don't know if that's a realistic dream where like the adult world would still be, there can still be murals. There can Mm -hmm. still be petting zoos. There can still be you doing nice things and good things. And we can create jobs and an infrastructure within that Mm -hmm. where that exists yeah i think that that maybe seems too altruistic but i think you're doing it and you're showing kids that can yeah yeah i mean i also think it's really important for people to realize that like your role in mitigating climate change or adapting to climate change or whatever stance you're taking or goal you have does not have to be a scientist in a lab measuring gases, you know, mm-hmm. um, you don't, you, or or a scuba diver, you know, measuring <laughs> shrimp to go back to this shrimp measuring thing that I made up. Um, you know, you could be creating art, you can be creating music, you could be, there's a way to sort of weave these principles and objectives into any kind of work or anything that you love to do so maybe your job is your job and that's cool you know let your job be your job but what do you do outside of your job what brings you joy outside of your job and how can you think about the planet and that work you do how could you weave something in there how could you create something inspiring then yeah teaching pulling over and showing your kids a tree you know just like these moments of connection are really important too and if you can share those that's super valuable yeah um any kind of like, what are you good at and how can you donate that if it's not your job <laughs> or get paid to yeah. share that and and be making a difference? It's totally possible. And I think, you know, like part of me and sort of this whole like, I can't be a scientist that I that felt like it was barring me from working in this field that I really cared about. And once I was told, sure, you can and we need artists and we need people who think this way in the, in this field it sort of like opened the doors and the light shone in i was like oh wow you know it's so true i mean like science as just science is completely unavailable it's really hard to understand it's complex um and nerdy (laughs) not super relatable not very cool you know 
But when you mix it with all of these different fields and different people who care about it, these people who maybe can talk about it a little easier, people who can connect, people can look you in the <laughs> eye, people who can write, you know, yeah. not um, super technically, but more more narratively, you know, all of those are, are pathways to creating a more empowered population and communities, people, people who really feel like they can be stewards of, of the planet. And, and maybe that is just picking up your gum wrapper, you know? Yeah. I, we have, um, this kid's book for kids, uh, that is, it's, it's kind of forgotten tales or some of the lesser known tales of Hans Christian Anderson. Uh And it seems like the, you know, I've, we just started it the other night, but the, forward is by this woman who I believe did a lot of research and kind of went a step deeper than most people be like, Oh yeah, I know that name. And then we just know the stories. And in it, the, she was sharing that like um, Hans, Hans's father was a very poor shoemaker and he died feeling like he'd lived an unfulfilling life or mm. an unsuccessful life. But uh, during Hans's childhood, he would take him out into the forest and show him like they would just sit down and watch one ant or one blade of grass or a leaf and just be like everything has its own character everything is doing is is incorporated here and working it has its own life its own thing and then so that thinking of like what that person felt what his dad felt is what so many adults now feel they may have had dreams they may have wanted to be a marine biologist or a painter or a poet or and then life happens and you're not you are taking the bus to a plastics manufacturing place and you can let that make you very bitter and or you can just pass on thinking, my life was miserable. Mm-hmm. But what he gave his child ended up being a huge influence as to stories that wow, it, like yeah. everyone knows that are just synonymous with like, oh, yeah, those are kids stories. Totally. Yeah. Imagination. Right. And, and yeah, parables or. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, I think that's beautiful. I love yeah. that because I, I just think there's always you may not have to be. The, the Neil deGrasse Tyson of whatever field you're in to where you're, hey, let me tell you all this. I have a podcast and I'm on these forums where I can speak very broadly to a big audience. You can just be talking to a kid. You mm-hmm. can just be influencing them in the smallest way or noticing when they're torturing animals. I think you got <laughs> to like yeah. one or the other. Yes. Yeah. You have the, you have the responsibility <laughs> to say something when they're pulling legs <laughs> off of spiders. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's a really important message. Yeah. I, I, I again, again, I think like if you go back to thinking, gosh, is it just all too much? Are we just totally screwed? You know, it's gone too far. There's nothing we can do. It's like, well, every honestly, every little thing you do matters. And a, and a lot of what you can do to just change, open children's eyes or open your friend's eyes or just change someone's perspective or make them pause be present and just, you know, kind of enjoy what we do have around us, I think creates the sort of like, you know, light, well, the power that we have to make a difference. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be so weird for extremely religious people, especially if you are a pastor or a preacher, someone that's teetering on the edge of like, am I a cult leader? <laughs> Cause you have to have some sort of thing that Y2K was a big one. There's some sort of thing that is a doom. It's mm-hmm. like, prepare for this. We're, we, as a flock, we're all working toward this. Yeah. That can be a powerful message. We've got to get in, involved in every school board, and we've got to infiltrate, and we've got to uh, you know, assert that this level of teaching needs to happen. 
if you have a team and everyone's on the same page mm-hmm. and you're meeting once a week and going over, here's where we're headed, here's yeah. what we're doing, here's what we believe, that can be extremely powerful. That doesn't really exist the planet over with, hey, gang, what if we all got together and really put some concerted effort behind? <laughs> it's almost the opposite, right? It's like, well, we actually don't want Armageddon, <laughs> you know, like we're not working towards, yeah. you know, um, the second coming here. We just want... We want to keep things as they are, kind of go back, you know, go back a hundred years would be cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we need a, some kind of climate church. And that sucks to think about, you know, people do respond to rewards. I recycle this many plastic bottles and I achieve this level. I'm in tier three now, or I'm a level blah, blah, blah. Well, that it shouldn't, why does it have to be like reward based or incentivized yeah. or something? Gamified. Gamified. To, yeah. yeah. Where, where people do feel I'm contributing and I'm the best at it. I'm really good. Oh, you're only using that type of thing. Well, I, we mm-hmm. actually hand make our, blah, 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 like, <laughs> okay. All right. You're, you're doing it well. Cause you can see things becoming cultish in that way where I, I, they came over to my house and they had a plastic water bottle. I kicked them right out. I couldn't deal with them. Yeah. You, you know, there has to be some acceptance for the, like, not everyone's going to do it. Some oh, people are going to aggressively just ignore it. it. And that becomes frustrating to be like, nothing? Nah. I use 10 no. water bottles a day. I chuck them all in the street. Yeah. Why? Just because I can. Yeah. I mean, the, that attitude isn't going to work about anything. It didn't work about trying to get people vaccinated during coronavirus. You know, the best thing you can do is be gentle and listen and explain. And, and and the same thing, you have to do the same thing with environmental issues. There's no point in cracking down on people in that way and, and alienating. I mean, again, it's like the scientific community has alienated people since this was a conversation you know, the beginning of this conversation in the 50s, which is horrifying. Um, and so just alienation is not the answer. Avoid that at all costs, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, the, I mean, I would say outside of any particular dogma, one that maybe every group, I don't, maybe Satanists, I don't know a ton about Satanists, <laughs> but I'm guessing it might not be at the root of them that is like, treat people how you want to be treated. Or if everyone's operating from a place of love of some sort, Mm -hmm. which love doesn't need to be writing them poetry, but just an understanding, an inherent like sympathy for – like you and I were talking before we started about not really knowing a whole lot about batteries and Mm -hmm. just circuitry in general and feeling kind of disappointed in that. But imagine if someone breezed in here and just berated us for not <laughs> knowing that. Exactly. And then we'd be like, oh, please tell us more. We desperately want to be your friend. Or we'd naturally, you know. I don't think so. I think I'd all. feel like batteries are stupid. Yeah, you're stupid. <laughs> Get out of here with your batteries. You're people stupid. who know about batteries are jerks. <laughs> yeah. And so it is very challenging. You see people all the time politically with, right. well, that person voted for so-and-so and I had to cut them out of my life. Yeah. What if you had just been patient or maybe tried to understand and just been baffled? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I don't get where this came from. They yeah. used to be this way. Now they're this way. Yeah. But I still am going to love them. Because yeah. I remember one time they gave me a ride home when it was real cold. If you can just operate from that place, ah, battery guy was a jerk. Or a different battery person walks in and is like, would you guys like know about batteries? <laughs> <laughs> like more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. It's hard. I mean, things are so polarized right now. It's hard to not feel like, oh, you voted for this person. You hate yeah. me. 
right. you know, or, yeah. you know, my best friend, whatever. Um, I think the, the lines are getting any kind of decorum or, or baseline humanity that we would once assume people have is sort of, I don't know, I don't know if this is fair, but it feels like it's less easy to just assume that that exists um, in, in how polarized people are, especially politically right now. Yeah. I mean, I think when I think of who historically is doing it or has done it right, agrarian style sort of barter system, smaller community, more mm-hmm. than anything. It doesn't really ha- matter how you exchange goods. It's more that you just, oh, yeah, I saw them. Hey, is, is so-and-so around? Yeah, I can see their tent from here. They are home. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you just, people now, oh, I live in a small town. It's the worst. Everyone knows everyone's business. Like, that part would kind of stink if you know there's this magical place called a city where you can mm-hmm. live amongst millions of people and no one knows what anyone's doing at any given time. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a utopia. In reality, it creates isolation. It creates an inability to kind of understand one another. And therefore, when you find out who someone voted for or you see them digitally post something, you didn't see in their eyes. You didn't see – they didn't say it directly to you because they might have shrugged their shoulders and gone, you know, what am I doing? Yeah. And so that that just creates a an unwinnable situation, I think, for human beings. Just so many people not particularly connected and at the mercy of like, I got to work at that plastics manufacturing right. place. So there's just so many factors there that if the baseline is – I'm going to attempt to just understand you and be mm-hmm. patient with what you're going through right now. Yeah, I know. I think it's it's a lot to ask people in, under all of the stresses we're under these days to just <laughs> be nice to each other, you know. Yeah. But gosh, it's like we're fighting against some really challenging circumstances just to get by every day. Does it feel like – and to talk about like the Pangea Seeds project a little bit, are you guys seeing – finished works and saying we like this work and we want to license it or use it are you commissioning people or is it all donation yeah um so yeah we're in a 501c3 nonprofit. um we have different scales of projects and different kind of um, pathways towards them so some work we do that is commissioned um, we'll work with brands that we feel are aligned with what we do and they want to sort of up uplift ocean conservation and sort of like show everyone that they're sustainable um and so they'll bring us on and we can do like a merch collab um where we work with our community of artists and get designs made um we've done that with like volcom and soda stream the stasher bags um some other brands um but our more like our impact projects work is is uh we fundraise for it. So that has looked in the past like what we call our Seawalls Artists for Art- Artists for Oceans program. And these are mural activations that happen internationally where we do five to 15 murals over the course of 10 days in a location um, that has been picked for, a, has been qualified for a number of different reasons. And for those projects, we fundraise in the location. We like to have at least 80% of the funding come from local Sponsors, so it might be donations um, from individuals or or companies that want to put their name on it and and donate towards the project. Um, And then we work with our community of artists. We'll see who's available and interested to come, and we pay them an artist fee, and then we 
put them up and give them kind of a really cool experience during the time that they're in the city with us. And they paint every day for seven to 10 days and create these huge murals. Um, So they're all sorts of different scales. We just did one in Cape Town um, in November that was pretty, was very well received, really successful. Um, Where we did 16 murals, actually. (laughs) Cape Town is a really big city. (laughs) It was actually one of the biggest, like, in expanse that we've ever done so we couldn't even get to all of the murals in one day we had to sort of separate you know as far as our team driving around and the operations crew checking in on everyone but one of them was was about seven stories tall um yeah really (laughs) massive um and then other ones are a lot more um you know single story maybe like 40 feet long so the same Um, way that like street artists would be traveling through a city and go wow that's that's a lot of free open brick right sure, there. Sure, yeah. You guys would be like, someone take a photo Let's f- and legally go through like yes. what? <laughs> yeah, we do it all <laughs> legally. Um, we make, you know, we find, we, 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 we do start, we drive around, we're like, that's a really nice wall. And now I have this like wall vision where I'm driving around <laughs> anywhere and I'm like, wow, that's a cool wall. Um, but we'll do that or we'll have our project director. We always have a local project director who manages it. We never want to feel like we're, from the U.S. and we're parachuting into some, you know, tiny little yeah. town in Thailand and, you know, taking over and then bouncing after we paint some walls. You know, we really want local buy-in, which goes back to the fundraising, but also that we have a crew or part of the crew that is local, knows the area, knows the laws, knows people. So that really helps us, but it also means that there's someone there on the ground who lives there after we leave who can continue with the project. They can yeah. make more murals if they want to. They can keep talking to the press about it. You know, they can make sure it doesn't get tagged or scrub <laughs> off the tag when it does, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, then we go through all the proper channels, get the permits. We, we get um, permission from the wall owners, usually for at least two years to keep the murals up. Um, and then we have this, like, really cool sort of, you know, map, you know, like, points around the city, a tour you can do where each mural will speak to a different local conservation, ocean conservation issue. So cool. And some are really, you know, um, it's kind of obvious what the theme is and others you might sort of need a little explanation or you might need to stare at it for a while. Um, We try and have a lot of them tie into obviously like the human dimension of these issues. You know, I think that's another thing that can be kind of can make climate change feel like it's not your problem is if you're thinking about just biodiversity, then maybe you're like, well, you know, it's sad the polar bears are dying, but it doesn't really impact me, right. you know? Um, but if you realize all the, the millions of ways that climate change does impact you, even if you're a landlocked community, um, that can help connect the issues as well. So we try and make sure there's a human dimension to the project as well. I think that that, uh, <clears throat> We were in Romania years ago and, you know, previously in a, under communist rule for a long time. And you can feel that everywhere just looks like concrete and gray. And you're like, well, they've, you know, been sort of implementing capitalism elements or things that feel like freedom for a while. And like, where do you see it? And you see it in murals. You see humans putting art thing, or even just pointing out there's a car that's not black, gray or white. There's a house that's blue. Look, a blue house. Yeah. You know, like really noticing they, they stick out. And when you go to 
I love here in the States, like Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's so colorful. Everything mm-hmm. is just artistic everywhere. And that says something about a community and it's being vibrant and or how alive it is. Yeah. And something in like dystopian movies, they're always like glass and gray and built. It's just the buildings are so boring. And I always feel like maybe, maybe in the future humans have elevated to the status where we no longer but I just think that immediately takes away what is at the core of being a human is just that spirit which everywhere no matter how bleak or bad things get currently there's art there's color mm-hmm. there's there's things on the wall sometimes legally a lot of times not legally yeah. but just humans saying we're here this is we're expressing ourselves and so that you're going and doing that and putting that in places mm-hmm. You just, it's one of those things everyone subconsciously feels. If you're just driving through a city, you don't even realize it until you look around like, does it feel weird here? There's no art. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's another, it's like uh, a really strong, like a power of these projects is that it's also beautifying a city, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of maybe you don't think climate change is real or you don't think that, you know, ocean conservation is a, is something or it's not something you think about a lot you're gonna still appreciate that there's like a really cool mural of a of a manta ray on that wall <laughs> you know or or exactly yeah so i think there's these sort of side benefits to it that's like you know who who doesn't like that and yeah um that helps push the projects through as well you know it, it's an enormous value to the wall owners these commercial the commercial values of these murals can be upwards of $50,000 and they're getting them for free. Um, So yeah, I think that that, that's helped us be as successful as we are. We've done, we've produced over 550 murals in 21 countries at this point. My, the organization's been around for about 10 years. Um, So it's, it's a pretty expansive legacy. Yeah, that's pretty And yeah, you can, you can imagine that it's been pretty well received. What I noticed too, uh, and maybe this is just rose-colored glasses to some degree, but certain murals, certain types of street art, even the most like mentally unstable roaming around with a can of spray paint tagging person is like, I'm going to leave that one alone. If something is pretty <laughs> or if something stands out, they're like, you see it here in LA all the time. If there's a billboard for some movie that, you know, they're... And maybe it's harmless. Maybe it's like, oh, those seem like nice enough actors. <laughs> the, the graffiti community in L.A. is like, no, that's our space now. And then you, the whole sign will be covered in graffiti aside from like an actor's forehead, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I really didn't like that movie. But if something else was, you know, on the side of a grocery store or something, you might not see any tagging for years, mm-hmm. which is pretty improbable. Yeah. I mean, there's – and I'm absolutely no expert in in street art culture, but you know, depending on who put that up, you know, there might be a lot of of recognition for that name or that artist, and yeah. it's you know, there's just respect there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there's like uh, there's unwritten rules around yeah. that for sure. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a really. Uh... I don't know what the right word is. I, I don't want to say magical. I feel like uh, people use that word a lot. And I don't typically think of things as magical, but I do like the coalescence of your passions and your education and your pursuits all coming together in this thing that is, it's not terminal in that like, well, now I got this job and here's why I go yeah. to this place for this amount of seminars per year and mm-hmm. I go to this city for a training and I go here and then I'm back on my, you know, whatever the routine starts to be. 
every job in some way kind of starts to feel that way. It can. And yet being like, no, no, no. What about this? What yeah. about this type of mural in this place? Yeah. Yeah. We're really um, expanding outside of like the focus on murals. So we're we're actually retiring this seawalls program um, in its current form. We'll still do murals. We'll still do mural activations. But we're focusing, we're kind of taking that energy we put into that program and focusing it on really trying to find opportunities to connect our community of artists with marine researchers mm-hmm. and to have this sort of back and forth and opportunities for them to collaborate and co-create art pieces that might be murals, but it could be pretty much any kind of media you can think of. So maybe a a researcher is doing, is building an underwater lab in... I don't know, Belize or something. And there's been all these, you know, all this construction, all these people, new people coming in to their little island and it's very confusing and they don't know what's going on. And perhaps one way where they could communicate what they're doing and try and build community around what they're doing is create uh, a mural activation that has some kind of walkthrough experience where people could see the lab or see the research that they're doing and it would be open and free freely free to the community and then that would be sort of like a give back that the research would be doing while educating people about what they're studying so kind of creating like a ways that the research or the conservation initiative can have a broader impact and reach more people through the medium of art yeah. Um, and so we're really just, we're piloting that this year and trying to find different ways to do it. We're never going to stop doing murals because that's kind of our special sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not always the most effective way to communicate with people. Like maybe a researcher really needs a cool illustrator to help them do a little animated short about their research or their data, you yeah. know. Um, maybe what would really serve them is like access to an awesome underwater photographer so someone could take a, some pictures of them doing their field work underwater and then they could share that out and that would help get their message out. Um, so kind of trying to think about the creative translation of their work um, and how that can really empower people by helping them understand what's happening in the oceans right now. Yeah. Remember when uh, I think McDonald's was the first to do it where they put one frame of like a cheeseburger in the news huh. and someone caught it they were like taping it on vhs and they went back and froze it and like what is this <laughs> and they're like oh yeah they paid us some money to try this like subliminal advertising oh, wow. to just splice in one frame to see if that would trigger your mind and in some ways i think that's kind of what art is doing and mm-hmm. i think a lot of like uh people that are a little more um like ultra religious that have negative view well that the they're they're trying to squeeze in these pro gay messages and stuff <laughs> and you're like well i don't know if that was the idea it's just a it's just a movie yeah <laughs> but the, that guy had a pink thing on his shirt or, you know, yeah whatever. like th- there's some of those can feel a little conspiracy theory ish however like art at its best it's just asking you to do that it's mm-hmm. not trying to like subliminally influence you to the point where I must go buy a cheeseburger, but just kind of like, I don't know, I find myself thinking about that manta ray a lot. Right. Or I wonder like what that, that research is very cool or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that like sort of on the flip side, you could use it as like subliminal messaging, but what is power, like that kind of power is what makes art a powerful tool for activism. Yeah. Um, is the messaging is sort of like the immediate emotional reaction you can have from seeing something visual. 
Yeah. But you don't have to analyze it. It might create this emotion within you. It might be strong. And you might not even know why, but it's like, <laughs> but you will remember that. Like you said before, like that connects with you and that stays with you. And that's the power. What's hard about that is that it's really hard to quantify. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to replicate and it's hard to kind of study. And in the world that we live in trying to get funding, you know, from big foundations or whatever, you need to be show metrics. How many people's <laughs> minds did you change by this mural? And we're like, ah. Did you put you any know? sensors in the bricks? Can you just show us like what level of engagement? <laughs> exactly. <How> many- <laughs> if we could, that would be amazing. That would be, that would solve a lot of problems. So we're we're in this interesting space where it's like, I don't. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't think that art is a powerful messaging tool. Mm-hmm. Everyone believes that art can and has, you know, has the power to affect change. Um, very few people are good at measuring that. Um, and that's something that we're trying to work on, too. That's sort of a line of our work for 2024 is to kind of come up with a, a measurement framework so we can analyze, like track and analyze and, and kind of push this as a as a tool for conservation right Um, yeah that all important remember like netflix would never give away how many streams or who started and or completed right all those analytics of like we have it we're not going to give it to you and then on the opposite when you guys are pushing for can we do this like do you have any analytics? Like, it's kind of like analog. We you right. can show surveillance from a building across the street. Yeah. Look how many people walk by. Exactly. But how many little kids stopped and right. were just transfixed? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't you know. know, how many kids ten years from now are going to be brain biologists? <laughs> I wish I, I wish I knew. You know, one, two, maybe. And I, it's frustrating that everything has to be quantified that way to yeah. then get your funding and yeah. In comedy, I mean, I really appreciate satire so much. And sometimes it can feel like people acquit, trying to acquit themselves for like, you'll see a show that is written and acted by all white people and they'll do an episode on like white privilege. You're like, get it. I get that you think, you know, your message from this is the one we need, but <laughs> I don't know if I want to get this from you. Yeah. I don't think this is your place to be explaining totally. it. And then it'll start to feel like every show like that is doing it. Mm-hmm. Here's our take on it. Here's our take. And I re- I don't know if you're into Kids in the Hall at all, but their reunion shows, like they so subtly and subversively touched on so many current hmm. things in such a great way that is similar to like what you're a- attempting to do, which is like, you don't want to be the battery guy coming in. And yeah. Like, you idiots don't know batteries. You just want to just present this yeah. idea that like, what if, what if you just considered this? Right. And I'm guessing, you know, there's enough room here, enough opportunity for you to interact with this, engage with this, hopefully enjoy this. Mm -hmm. So that is, you guys are in an unenviable spot where like that is sort of like art at its purest Mm -hmm. and it's the least quantifiable thing. Mm -hmm. And then we're trying to, it's like we're taking, we're we're working with scientists (laughs) and (laughs) in a scientific field. Um, So, so that's what we're trying, you know, it's like, okay, well maybe we can't, maybe it's hard for us to quantify how it's translating but if we know we're translating something that is data driven then sort of half the half the work is done so if we're working with a researcher who has this really interesting set of data you know then then what we're doing is already grounded in sound data so regardless of how many people are understanding it they're still amplifying that message yeah which is exciting yeah i i it feels like cuz in the beginning you didn't really want to get into the the doom and gloom and being in that space. But your job, your your career, 
allows you, I would say, to always be looking forward, to know mm-hmm. that that exists, that that is over. But if you stop and stare at it, you'll just be kind of paralyzed by mm-hmm. how hopeless it feels. But if you're on your in your career and thinking about like what's forward, that's got to be a nice place to be. Yeah. No, that's a that's a good observation. I think that's totally true. I we we have the this kind of stressful but also really exciting position to always be chasing the next project and a lot of it comes from our own imagination um or ideas we think would be really meaningful but also really cool you know yeah (laughs) so yeah I think it's um you get a lot of freedom there and yeah you get a lot of opportunity to really focus on the positive on like what change you could impact um but then you have the the stress of making it happen um how frequently are you being told no or not getting permits or yeah a lot yeah definitely um that can be a big prohibiting factor to working in certain cities um we've had to pull out from cities before because the permitting process is too hard or or generally it's like if we get the feeling that like they don't really want it you know there's some people that are like sure yeah we have this permitting process but 99% of the people get told no it's like so maybe the people in the in the city want it but like the old people sitting in the office who hold all the power just don't you know they like to be the judge on what good art is and bad art is and yeah um so we have definitely run into that before and and it's it's frustrating but we're learning when to kind of like pull out and just be like, okay, you know, this isn't, but there are plenty of places that are super stoked to have us who really, who it's really going to make a big difference. They're going to find it very inspiring. It's going to help kickstart street art or more murals in their city. Yeah. Um, and that has happened before. So yeah, um, it happens, but luckily there's plenty of places to go and we're, <laughs> we're not just bound to the U S which is really cool. Yeah. And that, you know, there's, it's not a hundred percent upside to be somewhat ubiquitous in that world mm-hmm. in that you might have the crazies coming out to protest you or they mm-hmm. have pro gay messages or, you know, when that yeah. crowd starts to show up and, and then now people reading articles like, Oh, sorry, you know, you, it could mischaracterize what you're doing. And so mm-hmm. like the, the way that you're existing within it seems a lot more pure and a lot more like unfettered by that sort of nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we've ever had any protesters, but I'll have to fact check that. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> just weird. protesting art mural. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure it happens. Yeah, I mean, just thinking like when things get big, it comes with all that. You know, yeah. people being very excited, petitioning you to come work at their space. You yeah. know, and people equally as opposed to True. it, and coming out in numbers and like, oh man, when we started this, yeah, it wasn't meant to be this huge. Uh, kind of buzzsaw of conf- conflicted yeah. sort of perspectives. On yeah, it. totally. So I, hopefully it grows in a nice, stable, mellow way that uh, just appeals to, to kids and keeps the, the crazies away. I mean, that that seems like a, an unreasonable sort of fear, <laughs> but just thinking how things go and just yeah. humans, you know, yeah. they're always like something like that. Yeah. But I don't want to take up all your day. But this has been a fabulous conversation. Yeah. I hope it was worth it. And that Definitely. It was like the nerves were. Yeah, uh... I feel so much more comfortable now. Oh, good. Thank okay. you so much. Cool. Yeah, I'm happy that you, you made time and that we live close enough where it, I, I like doing it so much more in person. I think it's like. Absolutely. Nothing against the Zoom conversations, but I think oh, humans no. sharing space is a valuable thing. I can feel myself drop in and be much more present in person. Whereas when you're on a screen, it's like it's pretty easy to zone out i do it all the time (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Like if you were in here and just, you know, fixate, is there something, something on the board here? And you go, oh, sorry, I was just looking there. But if you're at home doing that, like yeah. right near your computer, it yeah. might still look like you're looking in the screen. So yeah, yeah they're just little totally. things of in-person. Yeah. But. Uh, Kyla, this was a delight, and um, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah, and, absolutely. And check out the Pangea Pinge- not the Pangea Seeds, Pangea Seeds. Just PangeaSeed.org, yeah. Oh, not plural, Pangea Seed. Singular, yeah, Pangea Seed. Pangea like the supercontinent, seed yeah. like the beginning of a plant. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also seawalls um, on Instagram. We have, if you want to see visuals, if you want to see pictures of all of our work, we have cool. a, of a portfolio of it. Right S-E-A there. walls. Yeah. Sea walls. walls. And then cool. I think it's underscore for the Instagram. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 That's so cool. Well, thanks again. And, um, hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Cool. Thank you. Well, what'd you think? Back at it live in studio. There is something so much better. I really enjoy the zoom opportunities and uh, those conversations are great but there really is something about being in the same room as another human being where there are fewer distractions where things like being able to kind of uh, just understand human body language whatever whatever the thing is that humans the oxytocin or whatever when we're around each other some element of that is kind of missing through zoom maybe it's fractional but it's uh, it's really nice to be recording in this new space so I appreciate the patience as I kind of get back up into a rhythm here and uh, everyone's healthy, charging into 2024. Hopefully we'll um, we'll stay on track a little bit more. A lot of scheduled guests coming up, so hopefully I can kind of get a backlog and uh, get more releases more consistently. And thanks for sharing uh, this show with other people that you know. If you think someone might be interested and you pass that along, if you rate, review, subscribe, all those metrics things, the world these days dominated by that sort of um, analytical, or the analytics and data and so on, I'm pretty mild about that. I'm not a real pest on social media. I feel like this show hopefully ends up becoming something like a uh, a public library. I don't know. A place you're welcome to come in at any time, escape the world, nice and quiet relaxed. No one's trying to sell you any snake oil. Um, not trying to dumb it down so that more and more people come in. It's just going to be these quiet, calm conversations that are hopefully interesting, hopefully amusing. So thanks for listening. And especially those of you who do support the show through Patreon, it allows the show to be ad-free and to pay for things like the hosting and technology and software and so on and so on. So thank you for those of you who do support the show that way. All right. Thanks again to Kyla, and thanks again to Joel for setting that chat up. I really enjoyed it. Let's get out of here. Here's a song by Jenny Owen Youngs. It's called Knife Went In. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave.
Eu queria 